Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hello, Crossing Church. Welcome to another week of uh, online experience uh, for eight of our locations. Three of our locations are now having the opportunity to experience live. We're so thankful for that. I hope that you're doing great. I hope that you're hanging in there. I know that it's been a long time, but we can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm praying for that along with you. Last week, uh, last week, Mother's Day weekend, we were able to open both of our locations in Missouri and our location in Keokuk, Iowa, and they had a great experience, uh, just an awesome experience. And uh, even though they're about a third of their normal attendance, we'll see that go up as things begin to, the, the restrictions tend to uh, lighten up. And we're just praying, and I want you to pray along with me that we're going to have the opportunity to do that in Illinois because we want more opportunities. So I just want you to take a little bit of time right now and just pray with me that God would do that. Heavenly Father, I pray that your hand would be upon the leaders of the state of Illinois, along with the leaders across the country. And as we start to open uh, different businesses and different uh uh, opportunities in all of the states. I pray, Father, especially that you would be with our churches, that we would be able to uh, come back together in a responsible manner and be able to worship you together as a family of believers. Heavenly Father, I want you to know that I'm so thankful that we've had the opportunity through this uh, technology to be able to hold tightly together and stick together through this. And I pray, Father, that you would direct our path, our steps as we move forward. Father, just do something incredible. We'll give you the glory and the praise for it because it belongs to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I am so ready for this Groundhog Day to be over, aren't you? Yeah, but, but you know, I have seen the faithfulness of God over and over and over again. And I'm reminded of what it says in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 31. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life about what you'll eat, about your body, about what you'll wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Uh, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, oh, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Those can be really defining words for you. They are for me, and it's a daily uh, habit to try and stay inside of the will of God for me in my, in my head so that I don't get anxious, so that I don't worry about the circumstances that are around me. Remember, 
When you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can live above the circumstances. You don't have to live under them. And that's what that ha- happens when we concentrate on the upper story instead of the lower story. Now, I'm sure that you, like me, we're praying for a cure for coronavirus, for COVID-19. But let's take advantage of the greatest cure of all. And the greatest cure of all is God's word and what is revealed in God's word for us. You know, this virus, it's been no respecter of persons. It's a worldwide epidemic. It covers over 184 countries, but neither has the deeper problem of sin. It's no respecter of persons either. It's infected literally every person who's ever lived on this earth. And that's why Luke's gospel is so important. You see, Matthew, we we discussed him a couple of weeks ago. He concentrates on his Jewish roots, on his Jewish countrymen. And Mark, he focuses on Simon Peter's personal life and personal experience, how he personally felt about the ministry, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. But Luke, he gives us the most comprehensive view of the life of Christ of all four gospels. He's the best witness when it comes to just the facts, the story as it lays out. Look what it says in Luke chapter one, verses one to four. This is how he begins. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated, see that word, investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Now, we don't know if Theophilus was an actual person or just a generic word, because what it means is lover of God. And any lover of God needs to read the book of Luke, because the book of Luke will explain to you so much more in such comprehensive detail of the life, times, ministry of Jesus Christ, all the way from his birth in Bethlehem uh, and the Annunciation in Nazareth, all the way to his ascension into heaven. Now, it's interesting that Luke writes this gospel. It's interesting because this writer is very unique in at least two very critical aspects. Here's the first one. He's not an eyewitness. Luke's a doctor. He actually uh, comes to Christianity on the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey with Silas. So he didn't have any direct knowledge of Jesus. He didn't know Jesus personally. He wasn't even in that area, that region. But because he's not a personal eyewitness, as a doctor, he functions as an investigator. And as an investigator, he's verifying and he's compiling uh, accounts of eyewitnesses and he's making sure that everything he's writing down, putting uh, pen to parchment is accurate and true. Now that's a big deal for us today because he's viewing it the same way that we would. We're not eyewitnesses of Jesus's life. We were not there at that time. And so what we have to do is look at the accounts and evaluate the truth of the story without the benefit 
of actually being there. And that connects us to Luke on a deep level. Second reason that Luke is unique as a writer and we need to take notice of it is he's not Jewish. In fact, he is the only biblical author of Old and New Testament that is a Gentile, that is a non-Jewish person. And that's critical for us too, because we are almost exclusively a Gentile group of followers, non-Jewish followers. So when Luke looks at the life of Jesus Christ, he sees Jesus as more than a leader of a Jewish subgroup, a religious group, more than just a fulfiller of prophecies. He sees Jesus as the Savior, the Savior of the whole world. And that is the theme of Luke's book. As a doctor, Luke investigates and diagnoses the deepest problem in both his world and in our world. And that is the problem of sin and our need, our desperate need for a savior. You see, Jesus is the cure. And we find out about Jesus in his word. And so because the word reveals Jesus, the word is the cure. Now Luke's gospel has so many stories it has so many teachings. It has so many parables. And they're all just so incredibly rich that the other gospels don't have. As a matter of fact, there are 45 separate instances, big chunks of scripture that are only recorded in Luke and not the other gospels. And I would love to spend time with you in all 45 of them. But today, I'm just going to show in three stories that Jesus is the savior of the world. I'm going to pick those three that you've, and there are just three of those 45 that are only in the book of Luke. All right. And here's the first one. And for many of you, these are familiar stories. The first one is the, the parable of the good Samaritan. Now, before I talk about it, let's just read it together. Okay. It's in Luke chapter 10 verses 29 to 37. Now, it begins with a lawyer who's asking Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Which is an impossible question because there's so many. And then Jesus answers him by saying to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. But then he justifies himself by asking a second question, a follow-up, which is, well, then who is my neighbor? <coughs> then Jesus uses this parable, this story, to explain or answer the question of who a neighbor is. Verse 29 begins, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So then Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this is what I see, and this is why I picked out this one of the three stories I'm going to share with you. Jesus is the Savior of the world because Jesus being the Savior of the world is the truest expression of love. You see, that was the question, wasn't it? It was, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered it with two answers tied together, to love God and to love your neighbor. That was the core of his teaching. But you know, sometimes we get those things mixed up. Sometimes we, we, we get confused about, well, well, then who is my neighbor? Who should I love? You know, when I was a little kid, I mean, four or five years old, uh, I had the opportunity uh, once a year on television to watch The Wizard of Oz. And I can still remember as a child the time, that moment uh, in Munchkinland where the Wicked Witch of the West comes out of the ball of fire and she appears and she's green and she's wearing black and she has a pointy hat and she's scowling and, and looking at people like she wants to hurt them. I remember running from that room. I remember that moment traumatized me. And uh, for a few years after that, when that part of uh, The Wizard of Oz came on, I was scared. But I love The Wizard of Oz. And you can ask my wife, if, you, if I watch it now, I can literally quote it. Uh, I, I, I know about every word of The Wizard of Oz. So here a few years ago, uh, I was able to take Allison to go see uh, the Broadway show Wicked. And Wicked is just a different take of The Wizard of Oz. So in The Wizard of Oz, the lines are drawn very, very, very clearly, right? The, the Witch of the West is the wicked witch of the West. And that's why she's green. And that's why she wears black. And that's why she comes in fire. And that's why she has this broom and all this horrible stuff, right? The flying monkeys that come after you. But, and of course, the, the witch of the North, Glinda, the witch of the North, she's the good person. Dorothy's the good person. Well, in the, in the Broadway show Wicked, all of those roles are reversed. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, in Wicked, the Wicked Witch of the West is actually the one who's good. And the Witch of the North is kind of a ditz, okay? And you get a backstory that you would have never, ever dreamed. And I think, when, of course, that was, that was interesting to me because I was so into the Wizard of Oz as a child and then seeing this all this role reversal. And I wonder if like those religious leaders... Sometimes we get everything backward. You see, Samaritans to the Jews were evil. They were the wicked people. They were the bad people. And yet when Jesus tells the story, he makes the priest and the Levite, who are supposed to be the best of Israel, he makes them the villains, and he makes the Samaritan the hero of the story, which would have infuriated all of the people that were listening to that story because they already had their heroes chosen and a Samaritan certainly wasn't. But that is the genius of the story because Jesus isn't just the savior of one 
group of people. He's the savior of the whole world. And those Jewish religious leaders, they got it all wrong. And so can we, we can get it all wrong. We can think that we're loving God when we're not even thinking about how we're supposed to love God. To love our neighbor means all of our neighbors. And in Jesus' case, the Samaritan was the best neighbor. You know, I don't like to admit this, but I can have a problem rating people. You know, and I imagine you do too. What do I mean by rating people? Well, if I'm standing on stage and I'm looking out at a group of people and I'm scanning their faces and I recognize many of their faces, you know, it wouldn't be that hard for me as a human being to judge them based on what I know about them or what I perceive that I know about them. Like, oh, that person, that person's great. And I may even think about like putting a number over their head, like that one's a 10. That one's got all kinds of potential. That one's really doing incredible stuff for the kingdom. But that one over there, that one's like a two. That one's like a three. And so maybe when I walk out into the lobby, I want to talk to the nines and tens, but maybe I don't want to talk to the ones I perceive as the twos or the threes. Do you ever do that? Do you ever find yourself in a, in a restaurant or in a situation, you know, in a, in some sort of an event where there's people that would not be a COVID environment, but you, you remember that it wasn't that long ago and you would assign value to different people. That's a person I want to talk to. That's a person I want to be friends with, but I don't know about those over there. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been surprised by someone on how God might use them? I have been so wrong in my thinking so many times. There have been people that I've invested in. I thought, man, that person's a home run. That person's going to do great things, awesome things. And that person didn't do anything like I thought they would do. Have you ever been around a person I have and I'm thinking that person really doesn't deserve the time and then they'll just totally blow you away. There'll be so much more than you ever thought. I've been there and I've been so surprised where I had put a label on a person. I had judged a person. And then I find out later on that they were so much more. You know, I know people have done that with me in my life and in my past. Some people didn't want to give me the time of day. Others invested in me. And I, I, I resent the fact that some people would judge me before they actually knew me. And yet I do the same thing. I wonder if you do the same thing. You know, God's the only one who knows the heart of a person. God's the only one who knows what a person is capable of. And I can tell you this about God. He wants to save every human heart because every human heart needs salvation. And that's what I learn with the story of the Good Samaritan, that even the man that fell among the robbers needed to be saved. Even the man that everybody else thought would be the last person who would help him was the one that ended up helping him. Jesus is the savior of the world. Even the ones that we judge, even the ones that we label, Jesus is the savior of the world and we need to be like him. Here's the second story you're only going to find written in the book of Luke. And that is the story of Zacchaeus. Let's read it together. In Luke 19, 1 to 10, it says, Jesus entered Jericho 
and he's passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a, a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, and when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus is the savior of the world and he showed it one at a time, one person at a time. This is one of the things I just love about Jesus. Jesus is not a poser. He doesn't tell you what you're supposed to do with it in your life and then does something completely different himself. He didn't just teach these concepts. He lived them out in real time with one person at a time. And the story of Zacchaeus is just one of those times. Just imagine this, that Jesus could walk into any one of our church buildings. He could walk down any one of our streets and he has a complete awareness of every single person on that street, every story, in every room, on every street, in every house, Jesus knows. He didn't ask, hey, what's that guy's name up in the tree? He just called him by name. He knew he had a house. He knew what kind of a man he was, and he knew what the potential of that man was to see his life changed. You know, Jesus saw the potential in people that said no to him. He saw that with the rich young ruler, saw the potential in him, and yet that ruler had the opportunity to reject Jesus, and, and he did. But he has that awareness about all of us. And you know what he wants? Just like Zacchaeus, he wants, Zac he wants salvation to come to your house today. He wants to come to your house today. You know what? Help me to reread an, a scripture in the book of Revelation uh, about Jesus being invited into our hearts and lives. And it so, it so sounds like the story of Zacchaeus. We read it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's exactly what he did with Zacchaeus. Came to his door, went into his house and ate with him. And salvation came into that man's life and into that house that day. And it tells me so much about Jesus. There's so many things I could bring out of this story, but let's, let, me, let me give you a couple, okay? When it comes to being the savior of the world, one at a time, he doesn't care what people around you think. He doesn't care how that might affect how they view him. He's focused on you because he came here for you. It's time to quit trying to view him from the trees like Zacchaeus did and instead come and sit at the table with him. I can remember in my first ministry, there was a, 
a young man I met named Bobby Mellenbacker. And it was interesting how I met him because uh, we were at a church that had changed their gymnasium into a skating rink. And, and there were people that were skating around. And there was this one boy uh, who looked particularly disheveled, uh, like uh, a, a kid who didn't really fit in. And he didn't know how to skate, and he just kept running into walls and falling down, getting back up, running into the next wall, falling down. And I could see the people that I came with because I brought a youth group with me, and they were all pointing at him and laughing at him. And I brought them all together, and I go, you see that boy over there? And they said, yeah. And they, they were talking about how silly he was and how awkward he was. And then I looked at him, and I said, that is exactly the kind of young man I want in this youth group. And it just, it just took the, the air out of the room. And they were like looking at me like a dog does when he doesn't understand what you're saying. Like, what? And I go, now I want you to go over there and make friends with him. You know, the, the rest of that story is that that young man started to come to the church. And he did make friends with those guys. And now uh, he's a father and his kids are in ministry, not just him. It was amazing what God did with him. Just because one person noticed and some other people noticed and everything changed. And that's the way that Jesus saves the world. He saves the world one at a time. He saves the world with love. He can only be the savior of the world and no one else. Third story that I want to give your attention to today is the prodigal son. Only in the book of Luke. And it starts in chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth on wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, uh, have you ever gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends? But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, (coughs) you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. And we had to be glad because your brother, your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but is found. You know, it's interesting that the older brother said, this son of yours, like he's no brother to me. And yet the father said, this brother of yours. You can see that loving God and loving your neighbor or your brother, they're connected together. But the ultimate reality of this story to me is this. Jesus is the savior of the world because without him, we'll die. We will die without Jesus. He saves us from death. He saves us into life. See, Jesus was trying to help the religious leaders understand why he was there and and what they were supposed to be doing as religious leaders before he ever got there. Look what he says in Luke 15, 1 and 2, what the writer says, he goes, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, Jesus actually told the story of the prodigal son as the final story of three stories. He begins with a hundred sheep, 99 that stayed home, and one that wandered off. And now the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one. And then he told the story of a woman who had 10 coins and lost one. And she spent the whole day searching until she found it and rejoiced when she did. And then he told the story of the two sons. So he went from 100 to 10 to two. All three trying to help those religious leaders understand why he was here. He's the savior of the world for a hundred, for 10, or for even one. And what's he trying to say? He's saying we are all prodigal sons or prodigal daughters. But when I say that, when I say we're all prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, what, what else am I saying? Just take the word prodigal out. We're all sons and daughters, right? We have a common heavenly father and that common heavenly father loves us. Jesus is the savior of the world because he loves us. Jesus is the savior of the world because the world needs saving or will die. Jesus is the savior of the world and he loves us one at a time. Jesus is the savior of the world. And to be the savior of the world, you have to love the world. And I love the story of how the father's pictured, that he loves us so much. How much? 
that he's waiting for us and he sees us when we're still a long way off. He recognizes us even when we're unrecognizable. And then he runs to us. He declares that what was dead is alive again. And then he throws a party. In Luke 15, 23 and 24, it says these words. We just read them. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That to me is the key verse of the book of Luke is that we're all lost and need to be found. We're all dead and need to be alive again. Everyone in the world and Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the, he's the cure. You see, this world is so sick. It has a disease and it needs a cure. It has a reason for mourning, but it needs a reason for celebrating. It's stricken with fear, but it needs to be at peace. It's lost in the lower story, but it needs to embrace the upper story. It's focused on the temporary, but it needs to raise its vision to the eternal. The cure is here. The cure is here because Jesus is here. Jesus is the cure, and he's the savior of the world. Now we're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.